Welcome to Good God, Conversations That Matter About Faith and Public Life. I'm your host, George Mason, and as we continue in our series on immigration and trying to make this uh, a human story, not just one of uh, uh, about national borders and laws and all of that, we have someone who has a really diverse experience with this subject matter, and we're delighted to welcome to the program Sid Earnhardt. Uh, Sid, gl glad to have you with us. Thank you, George, and it's really just an honor and a privilege to be here, So, and thank you so much for having me today. Well, you're very welcome, and I want to introduce you by saying that uh, for, uh, for people who wonder if they should just find a career and stick to it, uh, Sid is an example of someone who has just kept finding ways that that road has turned, and uh, you've, you've kept all the things that you've done because you are, uh, first of all, you're a, a lawyer, and you're also a seminary graduate, and one of those people that actually has put the Baptists and Methodists together because you are a Baylor grad, uh, and, and you're also an SMU grad, and so uh, that's an extraordinary um, uh, active piece uh, in, in Texas to, to be able to do that. Uh, but your, your, your legal training uh, led you to do litigation work in oil and gas for a while, but ultimately you must have had something of a tug of ministry because you went to Perkins School of Theology and then you ended up working in this space of immigration law and uh, of advocacy and that sort of thing. Can you tell us a little bit about that journey? Sure. Um, so, yeah, my journey started, I, I, I would say, uh, in terms of a ministry call, as at least we would describe it uh, on the Christian side, and I know this is a, a, an interfaith um, podcast and interfaith organization, I very much appreciate that. And let me just say up front, for, uh, I will do my best to talk in an interfaith context, and I apologize in advance to any of our interfaith friends out there, just know I'm, I'm doing my best to uh, limit my um, I guess, shall I say, ex uh, if I talk about any exclusively Christian concepts, if there were such a thing, uh, I apologize in advance for that language. How about that? Sure, um, sure. Yeah. Uh, and so I would say, though, for me personally, my call um, uh, really started when I was younger. Uh, I thought ministry for me would be um, maybe a secondary career. Um, and it just found me, I think, a little bit earlier, uh, maybe than I was anticipating. Um, okay. A few years after law school, um, I was enjoying the legal work that I was doing, but I found myself just asking God, uh, maybe what God wanted from me in my life um, and how I could better serve others. Great question. Great question to ask. Okay. Um, yeah. And that's sort of how we, or I guess I should say how the process sort of started. And then from there, it, it definitely took a, a good amount of time. I started going to seminary part-time at night um, and still practicing law during the day. Uh, and so over the course of a number of years, uh, I completed my de degree at Perkins. And um, I guess really what led me into this space was during my pastoral internship at Perkins. Um, I did part of it with a church uh, in the Houston area uh, with the United Methodist Church. And then I also did part of it with an organization out of Austin called Texas Impact. Um, and with Texas Impact, uh, they immediately put me into the immigration space. My first weekend, actually, of my pastoral internship, um, I 
uh, got in a car with her uh, with their congregational outreach director, Scott Atnip. Uh, he picked me up at my house and we took a, an eight hour drive from the Houston area uh, down to the Rio Grande Valley. Um, and they had put together an advocacy intensive along with a couple of pastors from the Dallas area um, for uh, about 100 pastors from all over the state of Texas. They had brought them down to learn more about what was happening under uh, what I would call at the time, you know, the Remain in Mexico, right, or the MPP, uh, the Migrant Protection Protocols. And this was in 2019, the fall of 2019. Okay? Um, they had brought pastors down so that they could see for themselves and take back to their congregations, you know, the stories of people, of migrants that were at the border that were being forced to remain in Mexico uh, in order to have their claims for asylum processed. Uh, and then from there, a smaller, I'll say about a month later, a smaller group of about uh, 30 to 50 of that group uh, went to Washington, D.C., um, where we talked with uh, every publicly elected official uh, from the state of Texas. Right. So so this, uh, this combines in your work with Texas Impact, and you continue to practice law, and you continue to relate to various organizations, including being the executive director of a group called Justice for Our Neighbors, uh, which is in North Central Texas, uh, an immigration ministry of the United Methodist Church. Uh, you're combining all of these things. So I think one of the questions that you might be um, uniquely gifted to answer is, uh, while we can argue about the legal status, for instance, of uh, people who cross the border, while we can talk about the economic impact of the labor force and what they can offer or whether they're taking jobs or how we uh, manage all of that, uh, whether we can talk about culture and, and how um, this can be either a gift of diversity or it can be a threat to a, a, a more traditional culture in the United States. Where is God in this, would you say, Sid? Uh, when, when you do your work, uh, faith animates what you do. So how do you, how do you say, okay, somehow I see there's a spiritual factor in all of this. This is where I think God is. Uh, can, can you talk through that a little bit with us? Sure. Um, man, that's a, uh, you're absolutely right. I guess I would say in terms of how you, uh, I guess kind of contextualize the question. Um, and it's a, it's a great question. Um, I would say for me, uh, where I see God in this is, well, I mean, the short answer is right everywhere. Um, and it starts with, um, really just with the simple and basic understanding, right, that God created all of us, right? We're all a part of God's creation, um, and it comes from this place that, you know, God loves all of us, and from my perspective, we are called um, both to love God, right, and then both also to love our neighbors, if you will, um, uh, you know, as we love ourselves, and so I would say that part of, um, our calling is also to be stewards of God's creation. Um, oh, nice. So, in doing so, um, I think we find ourselves in this place, um, you know, really this imperfect place where we are trying to wrestle with these concepts of, uh, uh, and I've heard, you know, some of the other podcasts that you've had and kind of some of the factors that you mentioned, right? The economics, the nationalism, if you will, right? The cultural aspects. Um, from that religious perspective, I would say 
you know, one thing that um, congregations or houses of worship, right, um, that we really understand well, I think, is kind of this mission component, okay? Um, but when we're looking for what I would describe as transformation inside of our communities, right? When we're looking to transform the world, if you will, um, into, uh, I guess you might say, either the image of God, right? Or looking for what God is looking for our world to look like, I would say. Right? Yes. When yes. we're leaning into that, um, that's where I think that there's kind of this, and this applies to beyond just immigration, okay, just for the moment, right? Um, in, in a big picture sense. Um, that's where we're talking, I guess that's kind of where our congregations fall short, I think, right? We really understand this missional component well, right? But in order to get to transformation, we're missing this step, I would say. Uh, um, and it's, it's this justice component, okay? Without justice, I don't think you can get to transformation. So Walter Brueggemann, uh, who is a great uh, theologian and uh, a friend, uh, has this wonderful line. He says, uh, justice is figuring out what belongs to whom and giving it back. Uh, and, uh, and, and I think at the very basic level, um, dignity is one of those things. Uh, humanity itself, that there are a lot of people who are coming to our border who have uh, been stripped of a sense of their being valuable children of God like everyone else, and they have been treated poorly, and they have felt uh, somewhat abandoned. Ironically, um, the vast majority of them coming, as we understand, identify as Christian, and increasingly as evangelical Christians from Central America is uh, something I think a lot of people don't realize uh, is true. And so uh, these are not people who should be necessarily objects so much of our pity and charity as sisters and brothers, uh, maybe even of the same faith that we should be uh, welcoming in a way that is even uh, transcending our national uh, obligations. Huh? Absolutely. Uh, I don't know. I couldn't have said it better myself. How about that? Yeah, I, I, I absolutely agree with you and you're, you're absolutely 100% correct. Yes. Right. So now you talk about the transformation of our own communities, our own church communities, and how important justice and advocacy are in, in that respect. So I, I think if I understand what you're saying is, I'm a pastor, and one of the things you would want me to do is probably to engage our congregation in actually an, a, a personal hands-on engagement in this process so that by that engagement, we can ourselves be transformed. Uh, it, do, do I read you correctly? Yeah, yes, and that may uh, sound... Hmm. Uh, how about this? I know that pastors are overworked and overburdened right now, right? And I am not trying to, I guess, add to it uh, in that sense. There's a lot in the world, especially in the last couple of years, okay? Um, but I, I would say, it. Uh, I, I guess like this, um, I think, a look, so much of advocacy work, um, I, I think is more, hmm, when, so first when I say the word advocacy, right? I think a lot of people think of it like a four-letter word, like it's a bad word that we're going to uh, run away from, right? You're probably envisioning either some kind of uh, marches or chants or protests and holding up signs, things of this nature. Uh, and, and I would say, you know what, there is some of that if you're interested in that. Uh, you know, we can, we can offer that to you on the advocacy side. Um, but 
much more often than not. Um, advocacy is just telling. Um, I, I would say knowing who to tell and kind of knowing how to tell the story of the work that so many of these people and congregations are already doing. Um, yeah. Yep. And, you know, you, as a lawyer, you are often called an advocate by profession. Uh, but uh, for people in the pew, they should know that the, the, the word in the New Testament for Holy Spirit is often also advocate. Jesus says, I will send you another advocate, a counselor, a comforter, someone. If you start thinking about how you could be the presence of God as an advocate, it really involves this, this uh, uh, standing alongside of someone, right? This uh, sort of uh, asking how you can help and being part of uh, the solution instead of uh, being indifferent. Uh, and so uh, what are some of the ways that through Texas Impact and your work with Justice for Our Neighbors, you engage congregations, Sid, in this work? Yeah, great question. So I, I would say first it starts uh, very much in a local context. I know that um, while, you know, obviously Texas is a huge place, right? Um, and we're talking about uh, especially if there are people who are primarily from the Dallas-Fort Worth area uh, that are kind of listening and watching here, right? Uh, I know that the border or the Rio Grande Valley is, you know, a good number of hours away. Um, I will tell you that there are ways in Dallas-Fort Worth that you can easily get plugged into um, that involve working with uh, immigrants who were, in some cases, you know, 24 hours ago, right, uh, down in the Rio Grande Valley, okay? Um, and some of that work looks like, so for example, um, one organization I would say, so with Justice for Our Neighbors, right? What we are is a, um, an immigration ministry of the United Methodist Church that provides low-cost legal services, right? Or free legal services um, for immigrants that are in primarily the Dallas-Fort Worth community, but around North and Central Texas. Um, beyond, uh, there are a number of other organizations also that do the same thing. Um, if you were looking for other types of work, uh, for example, a number of immigrants, especially the asylum seekers, once they're being processed, if they are, we've seen a number of immigrants that actually um, travel through the Dallas-Fort Worth Greyhound bus station, okay? Um, if they are going somewhere in the Eastern United States, what's happening is they will ride a bus all night, okay? Uh, typically from Brownsville or McAllen, they'll ride it to, and there are you know, many stops along the way, they're sleeping on the bus, they might have a children, that uh, they have they have very little um, other than either whatever they were able to carry or bring with them, and then right. what some of our wonderful organizations you know down in the valley have given them. And I would say that uh, there are opportunities to um, uh, help along the way as they're on this journey to their final destination somewhere inside of the United States. So probably congregations could identify a specific uh, ministry like that and organize teams of people who would be volunteers. We have people, of course, who serve uh, in the stew pot and serve people at lunch. Well, they could serve at the Greyhound station too, right? And they could, uh, they could be part of that. And, but there's, there's also, uh, I think through these organizations, probably ways of people becoming better informed and becoming uh, advocates for the political process and the change of policy too. What are some ways they could do that, Sid? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and thank you. Um, there is, so one way that it can be done, 
uh, is through an organization, like another organization I work with, Texas Impact. Okay, um, they developed a, a courts and ports program. Is the name of the program. Uh, and what it does is it takes small groups of people. It's usually eight or fewer at a time. Most of them are from the same congregation, but sometimes we have uh, multiple congregations coming together. Uh, they come down for uh, between two and three days to the Rio Grande Valley, and you come and you learn more, right? You get educated more about what uh, it looks like to go through the asylum process. You learn more about the migrants who are showing up at our border. You have interactions with people who are actually going through the process. And then part of that education, uh, which you alluded to as well, is we want you to take that piece, right? And we want you to come back and tell those stories, right, of your own personal experiences to the congregations that you're from. We want you to go and talk with your public officials as well and talk with them about what your experiences are. Because right now, right, we get so much information, no matter which side of the news you read, as I'll call it, right? Uh, wh wh wherever it is, wherever you get your source from, right? There's so much that is, I guess I'll say kind of an inherent bias that appears to be built in, right? We want you to come down and get the information unfiltered, right? And through your own personal experience, uh, because we find that when we are talking about advocacy, especially when we're talking with, uh, about talking with our public officials, right? There is no substitute for you having that personal experience and bringing right. that to them. One of the most heartwarming and heartbreaking moments um, I, I saw was when my friend Imam Omar Solomon uh, was uh, in down at the valley, and he and there were kids being separated from their families uh, during the child separation policy, and they were they were on a bus, and uh, it, Omar is about six foot four, and uh, it, you know dressed in, in black clothing, clearly dressed in Muslim garb. And, and, and yet, you know, you, you could see his holding his hand up to the window, uh, pressing it against the hand of a child who had no connection, uh, was scared to death, leaving behind a uh, family. And uh, that, that moment just sticks in my heart and in my mind. And, and I think that the actual going in person and, and being present and seeing the human beings that are being affected by uh, these policies the, the, uh, are just important to our own um, sense of passion about it, right? You're right. Um, and yep, exactly right. And they're important to our humanity. And I think it really fuels that understanding that we were talking about earlier, right? Where we understand that we are all, right? Uh, created by God, right? These are our, you know, um, these are our brothers and sisters, right? They're people who are, uh, have gone through, in many cases, uh, have just gone through um, what I hope to say are more traumatic experiences than you and I will ever have to go through, right? Um, they've just been through some of the, you know, the worst situations and are escaping some of the worst situations that you can imagine. And one of the, I guess, one of the ways, right, that we, I'll say, fulfill um, our faith, right, that we show our faith, is by being able to welcome, right, to restore some of that dignity and that respect that you talked about earlier in the program. Right. Yeah, I think if, if we ever stop to think about the fact that we didn't get to select our family when we were born, or 
what country we were born into. And yet, uh, when we look often at people who are coming to our border, there may be a sense that there's some sort of entitlement that, that maybe we have a little more of um, the image of God in us than they do in them. And that uh, all, all you have to do is actually say that kind of thing out loud and you just automatically know it's not true. Right. But it's, it's, it's that unconscious bias, isn't it, that we have to uncover by somehow having these kind of conversations, meeting people, really challenging ourselves and our unconscious biases about these things. Yeah, you're absolutely right about that as well. And um, I think that's, uh, if you, I, I guess I would say like this, as you sort of step out of your comfort zone for anyone who's sort of on the edge and um, you know thinking or continues to hear more about the, the suffering, right? That's happening right now uh, for migrants, right? That, that are happening for just, you know, people that are showing up at our borders in any kind of context, or even some of the suffering that immigrants who are, uh, when we're talking about waiting on legal status and then this legal limbo inside of our own communities, okay? Um, that is, uh, I guess I would just say how we, what do I want to tell you here, George? Um, I guess I would just say it like this. Um, There's a frustration that builds in you when you're really seeing their plight, right? And, 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 and it makes you impatient to just sit by and do nothing. Yeah, you're absolutely right about that. Um, and as that kind of frustration builds, um, when you start uh, just taking that first step, and I know it can be the hardest in some cases, right? Um, you start to form that relationship and you really, um, I guess I would say those barriers are broken down, right? Uh, and you start having this relationship and you actually, uh, in terms of uncovering your own biases as you were talking about, right? You start to, you literally have the experience, or at least I would say I did, um, of having those literally breaking down, you know, inside mentally, right? You are realizing, wow, here are my biases, right? Um, as I'm, you know, meeting these families, as I'm meeting this person, as I'm hearing their stories, and then you really start, uh, I really feel like having this true connection and you really just, I think anyway, feel the presence of God, right? In those moments, in those relationships. So what would be a typical uh, story of someone that you would be uh, working with as an advocate? Ooh, uh, gosh, there are so many. Uh, I would say, uh, well, let's say, um, so two, two general contexts, I guess I would say, right? Um, there would be, so some of the advocacy work, and I, I would say some of the most important, right? Especially under, uh, well, I'll say now, once again, uh, current uh, procedures and protocols or regarding advocacy for asylum seekers at the, at the you know, South Texas border, okay? Um, a typical story um, would probably involve you hearing about a family um, that is escaping uh, violence from their home country. Um, it could involve either a family member uh, already being murdered. It could involve, uh, without going into too much detail, obviously, but uh, it could involve some type of sexual assault. Um, it could involve extortion. Um, it, uh, any type of, uh, any number of threats of violence or actual real and experienced violence. Um, right. to one or multiple family members is probably where I would start in terms of a background. 
um, forcing a, a family that was, in many cases, were small business owners where they were. Uh, in many cases, were uh, like you alluded to earlier, right? Christians um, and have been forced to flee their homes. Right. So, Sid, um, there are legal services and there are immigration services and there are church ministries and there are all of that. You've described a circumstance uh, with many people who are coming to our borders uh, that they have been through some horrible traumas in their lives. Is there any trauma work being done with people who are coming to us? Uh, any, any trained um, folk who are uh, able to help give them a safe place to work through uh, what's happened to them emotionally and socially? That is a great question. Um, I would say that, um, so kind of what I'll say in a general sense, and I'll, I'll come back to that, is what you're describing is, so what happens, right? When we see, we know that there are processes and procedures for someone to uh, come and claim asylum in the United States, right? But where, when the government stops, for lack of a better term, what happens then, right? And that's where the work of NGOs or non-governmental organizations or what we'll probably colloquially call nonprofits comes into play. Um, and so I would say that's where people of faith are needed, right? right. That's the kind of work that I would say we know how to do, right? We understand how to do better than any government ever could. Um, and that's where uh, I think that in terms of organizations working together, it would be much more beneficial for both the government, for our local communities, for uh, asylum seekers or anyone who is coming through this process if we were all communicating and working better together. Um, now, to go back to your specific question, yes, there are people um, that will and are organizations that do provide some support for people who have been through traumatic experiences, but I can tell you that if you have those skills and abilities, we always need more. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it does seem like we need a trauma force uh, of uh, some, if, if someone is out there and trained social workers or counselors uh, who are looking for some way to have more meaningful work, uh, it may be that we need to develop this kind of trauma force that would be uh, an aid to, you know, if you, if you could put a team of people, legal and religious and uh, economic and, um, and, and, and trauma, uh, all around a, a person, a family, uh, it, it, it would be a much more holistic, uh, better way to go about it than just passing them off from one thing to the next. You're absolutely right about that. And, you know, uh, when you're saying that, George, that uh, I guess kind of reminds me that and I think you may have had someone previously talk a little bit about this. Um, there is a way, um, I would say it's kind of more of a, a I guess, a way that congregations uh, can actually adopt, if you will, right, can actually sponsor immigrants and families. And I would tell you that when you're talking about, when you said that team word, that's kind of what, what triggered that for me. Um, so many congregations, right, and houses of, uh, you know, just houses of worship have professionals who maybe can't devote their entire life's work or their entire career to doing something like this, right? But when you're talking about bringing in and what kind of resources each congregation has, um, right. there are many that are in a position to where you can kind of provide this kind of team of care, if you will, that covers the bases that someone is going to 
um, I guess I'll say both need, but also, I mean, it goes beyond just mere basic need, right? I mean, we are all called, right? Going back to that original premise of, we're all, of us all being God's children and how we're called to treat and love one another, right? I mean, what if rather than this, these indignities that we're seeing migrants suffer when they're coming to our borders, what if we, I guess, flipped it on its head and what if it, we welcomed them like they were royalty? I mean, that's just a thought, I guess, in terms of just imagine what that scene looks like at the South Texas border, um, as opposed to the current scene. Um, I don't think that, I mean, here this, I'm not going to tell you that I think that's realistic, okay? Um, you know, maybe not exactly, but you know, when, um, when Germany decided a few years ago to welcome uh, a, a, a million um, refugees from Syria and elsewhere from uh, civil wars and the what, um, you know, they, they may not have done it just perfectly, but uh, there was an, an incredible change in spirit of those refugees when they got off of buses and trains and there were people standing in those stations with signs that said, welcome to Germany. We're glad you're here. Now, can you imagine uh, if we had people at the border uh, of the United States who, with all the chaos going on, we simply were there to say, we're here to say, we love you and welcome. That's an extraordinary thought. You're right about that. And it would, it would be, I mean, I think in a lot of ways it would be, I mean, just it would change the entire dynamic, I think, right? I mean, and here's why I guess I would say something like that might change the entire dynamic because then all of a sudden, right? You've got, you'll start getting reporters, you'll start getting press down there that are talking about groups that are doing things like this, right? And it's, it's those kinds of, um, I, I think when you start seeing and experiencing and when ideas start getting planted in our heads, that's when they really start kind of growing, I feel like, right? That's when, once they start kind of, um, you know, funneling through our minds. That's really when I think God can start kind of going to work on our on our minds and our hearts. And uh, imagine then, let's just keep going down this path a little bit. If we also had information for where they were going and had set up places where, you know, whether you're going to, I'll make this up, you know, Nashville, Tennessee, Buffalo, New York, right? Anywhere, right? Des Moines, Iowa, right? And there were already people in place, congregations in place, that we're ready to welcome you yes. and say, this is how things are done in our community or really these are the resources available to you well i think you have planted some of those ideas in our head today and i hope that um, it's inspired some people to think about what they might do in getting involved and uh, and i will just once again uh, remind people that you work with texas impact which is a uh, an ecumenical uh, organization uh, of uh, people in, uh, in Texas who are seeking the common good. And one of the aspects of Texas Impact uh, is this courts and ports program uh, that they can look into. And uh, the other organization is here more locally, uh, and that is Justice for Our Neighbors. And uh, people could look that up as well. And Sid, thank you so much for joining us on Good God and for being an example to us of somebody who's found a place of real meaning and mission. In, in life. We're grateful for you. Thank you so much, George, for having me. I really enjoyed this conversation. And, and thank you for allowing me just to talk a little bit about, um, you know, the work that we're doing. Thank you so much. Terrific. God bless you. Okay. God bless you too. Thank you so much.
Good God is created by Dr. George Mason, produced and directed by Jim White. Social media coordination by Cameron Vickery. Good God, Conversations with George Mason is the podcast devoted to bringing you ideas about God and faith and the common good. All material copyright 2021 by Faith Commons.